the adults who come to our catechism class prepare at home beforehand by first reading a short section of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, usually about 10 pages, and then answering some questions on that section, questions that have been prepared by yours truly. Well, in Lesson 19, which we actually had last year, I gave them the following question. Joe, partly Catholic, he makes his appearance every once in a while in these lessons, Joe, partly Catholic, says to you, I just booked a Mass for my deceased mother. A few minutes later, the subject of purgatory comes up, and Joe says, purgatory? There is no such place. It's either heaven or hell, period. How would you respond to Joe? Think about that for a moment. What would you say, what could you say, what should you say to this man who claims to be a Catholic disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, I'll tell you what I would say to him. I'd say, then, Joe, why are you having a Mass offered for your deceased mother? If, as you claim, there is no purgatory, then it's absolutely useless to pray for the dead. Our prayers cannot help people who are in hell, since they're damned for all eternity. And our prayers are not needed by people in heaven, since they've already arrived in God's eternal kingdom. If you really, really believe that purgatory doesn't exist, then you shouldn't have Masses offered for your mother or for any of your deceased relatives and friends. Furthermore, why give a monetary offering like you just did for something that has absolutely no value at all? Obviously, I'd respond that way in that way to Joe in the hopes that he would see the contradiction between his belief and his action and then change his belief. Because his mom might need the prayers. The Feast of All Souls, which we celebrate in the Church this weekend, is rooted in the belief that many people, probably most people, who die in the state of grace, who die in Christ, are not quite ready for heaven. Yes, they leave this life with sanctifying grace in their souls, which is absolutely necessary for salvation. Sanctifying grace, as you will recall, is the grace that Jesus Christ died on that cross and rose from the dead to give us. Sanctifying grace, do not leave earth without it. We first receive that grace at baptism, but we can lose it. You lose sanctifying grace when you commit a mortal sin. But the good news is, sanctifying grace can always be restored until our dying breath. It doesn't have to be gone forever. And ordinarily, that restoration happens through the sacrament of confession. So these people that we're talking about die in the condition of friendship with God. They die in Christ. 
And as Paul said in that second reading, if we die with Christ, we shall also live with him. So they will eventually end up in the Lord's eternal kingdom, but they're not quite ready for heaven when they take their final breath. Perhaps they still have some venial sins on their souls that they haven't completely repented of. Maybe they have some sinful attachments that they haven't completely let go of or some sins that they haven't made sufficient amends for. And this is where purgatory comes into the picture. The Bible says in Revelation 21, this is almost at the very end of the Bible, the Bible says in Revelation 21 that nothing impure shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Nothing impure. This means that no soul with any sin on it, mortal or venial, no soul that has a sinful attachment, even a very, very, very small one, can enter the glorious and eternal and perfect kingdom of God. It can't happen. So how are the souls of people who die in the state of grace, but who still have some of these minor imperfections, how are these souls purified? and made ready for the beatific vision? Well, that question is answered in paragraph 1030 of the Catechism, where we read the following. All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation. So they're going to heaven, no doubt about it. But after death, they undergo purification so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. That's purgatory. Now it's interesting, the word purgatory itself isn't found anywhere in the Bible. Many of our Protestant brothers and sisters are fond of pointing out that fact to us. Of course, the word Trinity isn't found in the Bible either, yet every mainline Protestant believes in the Blessed Trinity. But even though the word purgatory isn't in the Bible, the truth about purgatory and about the need for certain souls to be purified before they can get into heaven, that is in the sacred scriptures. Just as the truth that there are three divine persons in the one true God is in the scriptures, although the word Trinity is not. For example, in 2 Maccabees chapter 12, an Old Testament text, a very important one, in that chapter we hear about the ancient Jewish practice of praying for the dead. The biblical writer calls it an excellent and noble act, which obviously means he approved of it. Well, as I made clear to Joe Partly Catholic in my response to him, the only reason, the only possible reason to pray for the dead is if purgatory exists. Prayers for people in hell are useless. Prayers for people in heaven are unnecessary. And then there's the classic purgatory text in 1 Corinthians 3 where St. Paul talks about judgment and salvation. And in that passage, he indicates that some people will be saved, but only after they pass through fire. 
And that's the term he uses, fire. Which is why one of the traditional images for purgatory has always been fire. But it's not the same fire that people will experience who go to hell. We need to be clear about that. The fire in hell is a fire that destroys. The fire in purgatory is a fire that purifies. That's a big difference. Mega difference. In chapter 12 of the letter to the Hebrews, the sacred author says that our God is a consuming fire. It's a great expression. He's a consuming fire. In other words, in his presence, all impurities, all imperfections, all sins are burned away. And that's a good thing. That's a really good thing. We see this same idea in today's first reading from Wisdom 3, where the biblical writer says this about the souls of the just who die. He says, as gold in the furnace, God proved them. Gold is not put into a furnace to destroy it. That would be crazy to do that. Gold is too valuable. It's put into a furnace and subjected to intense heat to cleanse it, to purify it, to make it shine more gloriously, more brilliantly. And that's the way it is with human souls. Here's where our masses and prayers and sacrifices figure into the equation. All of those things can help souls in purgatory pass through the fire, the fire of purification. They can help them do that more quickly. This is why it disturbs me when I find out that certain people are not praying for their deceased relatives and friends because they're convinced that these relatives and friends are already in the kingdom. Now, they might be. That's true. But the only way we can know that with certitude is if they're canonized. If they're not canonized saints, we don't know that for sure. So we should continue to pray for them, especially by having Masses said for the repose of their souls, the Mass being the most powerful prayer we have as Catholics, because it's the prayer of Christ himself. And this is what souls in purgatory would want us to do. The last thing that souls in purgatory want is for people on earth to stop praying for them. Because without our prayers, their purification will take longer. But Father Ray, suppose the person I pray for and have Masses said for is already in the kingdom. Well, in that case, I'm sure that God, in his infinite wisdom, will give the grace to another needy soul. No doubt there are plenty of them who need the assistance. Jesus says to us in this gospel, This is the will of the one who sent me, that I should not lose anything of what he gave me, but that I should raise it on the last day. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, wants all of us in his kingdom someday even if we're not quite ready for heaven at our death and have to make a stopover in purgatory first. Monsignor Strzok, whom many of you fondly remember, 
Monsignor used to say that when he died, all he wanted was to get in to the back door of purgatory. Not that purgatory really has a back door. That was an image Monsignor used to convey a point. Monsignor Strzok knew that everyone who enters purgatory, even by slipping through a little crack in the back door, so to speak, eventually goes out the front door. And that front door leads directly to the pearly gates with no stops. Today we pray for all those who are in purgatory right now that they will get to that front door quickly. Then as saints, their prayers, their powerful prayers, will help all of us while we're here on this earth and also when we are in purgatory. If we end up needing that final purification when we leave this earthly life.